the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 224. I am your host, Dustin. Today I have with me... This is Ed. And this is Diana. And we are bringing you the latest comic... (laughs) The latest comic book reviews and comic book news from the weeks of May 21st through June 3rd. We have a total of two books to cover, just a small amount of news to cover. Uh, But we do have a discussion point later in the episode, specifically talking about uh, DC Rebirth one year later... Um, so we'll talk about that after uh, we finish Greater Gotham up. But let's dive straight into the news. So the only bit of news that we have from the past two weeks is solicitations have been released for the past or for August, that is. And outside of the expecting uh, the, the stuff we expected, like this first solicitation of Dark Knight's Metal, number one, which is going to be hitting stores on August 16th. And it is listed as one of six issues. Um, we also know that uh, that Nightwing Elseworld series that we talked about last issue, last episode, Nightwing: The New Order, that's going to also be kicking off in August as well. First issue, August twenty third. Uh, but there's other a couple of other uh, little bits and pieces that were uh, pulled out of the solicitations that were worth mentioning. Uh, the first one is the Batgirl solicitation has kind of an interesting little description. Uh, Batgirl and Nightwing's feelings for each other have always run deep, but is their bond built on more than the Bat family loyalty and and a long-ago childhood crush? When an old villain comes back into Bab's life, she and Dick will have to reopen painful wounds and remember a time they'd hope would remain forgotten. This is is an event no Batgirl or Nightwing fan wants will want to miss. Um, I don't know. What can we expect from that? Apparently, unnecessary (laughs) drama is what we can expect from that. Um, You know, for years, we've been jerked around on this will-they-won't-they little train. It happened over in Barbara's book. It happened in Nightwing. It happened very recently with Nightwing because, remember, they had that little talk, and he said that he had a serious relationship, and everything seemed fine in the Birds of Prey. And so now there's another, like, let's rehash old wounds and, you know, reopen and everything. And, you know, as much as I I was together, at some point, you need to leave them alone and have it sort of more organic. But it seems like this well, and then inevitably I'm very disappointed at the end because I'm sure there'll be some sort of discussion that'll be like, well, this was fun, but we're... Still not going to get together because we're not in the right place. As for the villain, who knows? I feel this seems like a story that we had before where there was a flashback. Wasn't it Killer Moth that, like, you saw them team up? It was, like, an annual or something. Do you remember this? It's very vaguely coming to memory, but it was, like, a rehash of Killer Moth, and you saw Nightwing and Babs team up together. I can't recall what book that was, but it was very recent. Uh, so it looks like we're doing something similar to that. Um, I don't know. I mean, she's been put basically every arc. Barbara Gordon has a new boyfriend. Um, so I guess why, you know, not have another one for the new arc. Uh, so basically, as I said, to begin this little rant, 
What can we expect from this unnecessary drama? You know, the, it's funny that you you actually state the unnecessary drama because sometimes I feel like shows on ABC, not the the half hour sitcoms or whatever, but drama shows they have an unnecessary amount of drama and i told my wife one time it feels like sometimes those shows have soap opera like qualities oh, and yeah. it just is it's just there for no other reason other than just to say it it's there and it happened and i don't watch there's actually only one show now that i watch still on abc which is designated survivor okay um, but i used to watch agents of shield i gave up on it because i just got tired of nothing oh. happening Nothing ever happened, and I just got sick of it. That being said, there has been other shows I've given a shot that you watch, and you're thinking, oh, the premise of this is really cool. Quantico was a show when it kicked off. I was like, oh, this could be good. And then like a couple episodes in, and just all that unnecessary drama just started popping up, and I was like, this is just a little excessive and completely unnecessary. So, But uh, it, it's funny that you, you, you said that because that's immediately what I think of when I think to myself – Here's a story with Batgirl and Nightwing. Unless they actually end up together, none of this is actually going to matter. Yeah. All right. So then the uh, some of the other things, the other news bits uh, out of the solicitations. Uh, over in Batwoman, we actually have uh, the very last issue that James Tynion will be actually attached to. He is co-writing only up to issue six, and then Margaret Bennett will be taking over completely on her own um, art on the issue is actually going to be taken over by Eddie Barrows. I don't know if that's just that one issue and then Steve Epstein will return or how long Eddie Barrows is meant to be on, but it seems like Eddie Barrows has kind of just become a fill in artist here and there. Not, I shouldn't say fill in artist, more of like a, he goes where he's needed type situation because he was on detective comics for quite some time. And then he was on suicide squad for a while now he's jumping over to Batwoman. It seems like he's just going wherever they basically need somebody to to do art for the time being. Um, other bit of news over in the pages of Nightwing, Spiral is going to make uh, a, a return as, as well as Huntress, who is uh, featured on the cover as well for the first issue of uh, – August. Um, there is actually five Wednesdays in August as well. So there will be an annual. Um, there are annuals for the month of August, but the only annuals that pertain to us here at TBU is one for Red Hood and the Outlaws. And then finally, the uh, we're, we're going to talk about issue today, Detective Comics. The stuff that happened in Detective Comics relating to spoiler is actually going to return and play out in the pages of Detective Comics number 963, which is set to actually start a new story arc featuring spoiler and anarchy. So lots of uh, unique things happening in some of the books come August. Not really Batman-related, but kind of Batman-related tangentially. Tom King is starting a Mr. Miracle series starts in the solicitations for August, too. That is true. So if you're fans of Tom King, you might want to check out his Mr. Miracle series, which he's been in Batman comics a handful of times over the years, back in the 70s especially. All right. So the only other thing we've got as far as news goes for the past two weeks, there are two new articles for this week in the Batcave. Um, you can take a look at both of those, one from May 22nd and one from May 29th. And as you're listening to this, there's another one from this past Monday because every single Monday, Jessica has a new article for this week in the Batcave posted up. Outside of uh, that, editorial-wise, over the past two weeks, we did have a new uh, a new segment of the Watchmen Watch, which uh, also done by Jessica, which is a study in Scarlet and Blue. This uh, relates specifically to some of the events that have taken place 
um, dealing with some characters from Charlton Comics um, and specifically how characters from, um, let's say, the Atom, Johnny Lightning, things like that, how they're tying into the overall story and her theory on how everything ties together, including who she believes uh, Mr. Oz really is. So if you want to take a look at that, be sure to head over to the editorial section and look for that. Um, with that being said, that is everything we have for news and editorials. So we're going to jump straight into our comic book reviews. And the very first one we have is Batman. Batman number 23, The Brave and the Mold. Script, Tom King, pencil, inks, and colors, Mitch Gerards. The world's brightest star. A man singing a song and sitting on a chair is shot twice. His name is Lloyd McGinn, age two shots. Batman and Jim Gordon discuss the victim appears out of something, maybe a moldy piece of bread or a rock, IDK, and tells them it was his father. Chapter 3, he left. Swamp Thing narrates his history, his, <laughs> Swamp Thing narrates his relationship with his father and gives some hope to Bruce regarding his own parents because Swamp Thing says that his father will come to the green. It's all a big... Chapter 4, Kite Man. Since the murder happened, stories up. Batman interrogates Kite Man, who tells him he sold a kite to somebody. Chapter 5, Nat the Nat. This brings him to a pawn shop where he spots Nat the Nat on the security footage. Batman makes a connection to the real suspect having only just looked at a necklace of a tooth. Chapter 6, currently entering. Batman and Swamp Thing find the suspect at the Gotham Museum of Art. A joke is said. Chapter 7, the mercenary and and Batman laughs. I should point that out in Chapter 6. Chapter 7, the mercenary tells his story, which basically involves killing Lloyd because his son was Swamp Thing and he knew things. Swamp Thing kills the Merc and Batman feels used. Swamp Thing says he killed his father and his father is dead. Well, that, you know, this guy killed his father and his father's dead, which upsets Batman because this contradicts what Swamp Thing had said earlier about the life cycle. And Batman calls him coward as Swamp Thing dissolves into nothingness. Next of Bane. My first question I would like to talk about is in regard to the actual formatting of the story. And not only with the chapters, uh, there were seven total chapters split up pretty nicely the chapter title was either the first statement that was said by someone or came into play a little later on and also connecting with the format of the story the art as well because normally well i should say normally but oftentimes in this book i feel like the panels are very much connected uh you could have various sizes and shapes but here we've got nice neat little boxes generally the same size we've got them split up and separated with white panel or you know white in between them so it seems very different than what we've been used to so comments on the story how it's how it's laid out as well as how the art and the panels are laid out well i mean to me it seemed both the story and in, in content and the way it laid out seemed like an older like and i don't mean this as an insult i kind of liked it like an older like 70s book uh one issue not a 15 issue story you know it starts and ends in the same issue i remember we used to do this a lot a lot of comic book stories were just an issue um and the layout to me you know think about it, if you only have the one issue 
I think some of the layout was maybe done out of necessity because you have to fit more in the pages. Um, when you got six up issues to sell a story, you can do the splash page and stuff. But I don't know. It felt like a little throwback of like a seventies issue or something with more formatted layouts and stuff like that. So I thought it was kind of neat. And I, and I will say, like, I thought the format was kind of neat. You know, I can agree with you in the, the idea of that it's you know very reminiscent of a seventies or even early eighties comic and things yeah. like that. But at the same time, I, I think the the breaking up of the chapters, given the knowledge that this book is you know only about twenty to twenty five pages long, you know the idea uh, or, you know, story pages that is, and, and given the fact that we ended up with so many chapters, that's the only thing that's kind of distracting because it didn't really seem like the chapters really needed to exist per se, because there's not like, sure. I guess, I guess the chapters, the idea behind it was that it, you know, it shows a scene change, but I don't really know that that was necessary. Um, I didn't necessarily have a problem with the way it was shown and the way it was portrayed. I just, you know, specifically re- referencing the the chapters, I didn't really get it. I I'm gonna take it another way. Older comics, vintage comics, Bronze Age, and such. And I'm gonna say that it felt a, a little bit like a um, a film noir. Uh, we even start off, of course, because this had happened and we didn't know what well, you know, like this murder happened and we see the murder, but we don't know who did it and that was in black and white and even you know the chapter one world's brightest star in particular that the, all the chapter what would you call them um title cards very much look like something that you know there'd be a crackling or something you know on a tv show yeah, yeah. um so i like how there's a nice little transition between them and it it's it feels like a very film noir detective like thing but uh i've i liked i thought it was just very different right because i think we had been coming off of or you know perhaps we have this idea of how we want our our comic panels to be laid out and i feel like for the most part they're touching and they're bleeding over into one another and this was very neat and orderly and i think it very much fit what was happening and if you recall it also reminds me of like a Universal Studios monster because it begins with the strangest team up in history, right? You're almost thinking that it's like Batman and the, uh, the what is it, the creature from the Black Lagoon, you know, and it's got, yeah. So I just feel like it's got sort of a, a creepy movie aspect to it. But I, I enjoyed how it was laid out. Perhaps they didn't need seven chapters because it makes it go really quickly with the different chapters. But at one point I was like, Oh, seven, this seems like a lot where it could have been maybe three or four, but I, I enjoyed it. Uh, my next question. And my last one is uh, basically as a one shot, which we can basically say this is cause we're about to go back to Bane. So as a one shot, do you think this was worthwhile? And do you think it came at a good place in terms of where Batman is right now in his whole book? Well, I think the problem with answering your question is that I am kind of contradicting myself and saying Hmm, that uh one i enjoyed the single issue but two i did not think that it was the best time for this specific story um you know following the button is i don't know really what the necessity for this issue was other than they originally planned uh when i say they i mean king and gerard's uh, gerard had actually planned on doing a Swamp Thing Batman story way back when they did the the Catwoman two-part story back in whenever that was, I think it was January. And for whatever reason, something happened and they, they weren't able to do the the Swamp Thing story. And they said, no, we're still going to do it. It'll just be at a different time. 
And now skip fo- forward to we had the end of the Bane, uh, I am Bane story, but we still have this epilogue slash prologue to the you know the the past story and then going into the future story that we're going to see in issue number twenty five. But then we at the same time have the button kind of in the midst of uh, you know this where the pro the 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 epilogue from I am Bane is being held off until after the button which I'm not complaining about because the button was what the button was and it was a big deal. So there's no reason I'm going to sit here and say the button happened and it was shoehorned in, but having an epilogue issue now take place after two issues of the button, one issue of swamp thing, and then finally wrap that story up unless it becomes more of a prologue for what is to come with the war, the war of joke and riddles. I don't know what the reason for this all happening was like, we complained when we read Batman number 21 about how the ending was kind of up in the air, not not specifically the ending with Bane, but how there was a lot of pieces that were not, you know, they did not follow through and give us answers to all the stuff. Now, they don't need to give us answers to everything, but at the same time, when you have a story like this, the answers that we were asking, like what happened to all of the allies who were, you know, in stasis lockup in the Fortress of Solitude? What happened to Catwoman? All of these things that you know we you know were presented to us as situations occurring in this specific story and not getting the resolution, but then on top of that, getting this random one shot taking place in the midst of us wanting those answers—it's kind of frustrating. I will say, as a standalone story, not looking at the larger picture and the larger release of all of these stories put together, this single issue on its own, I, I actually enjoyed. I, I thought that. Uh, the ending was definitely unexpected. I didn't expect Swamp Thing to do what he did. Um, mm. And at the same time, it is a very unique team up um, in the new 52 Batman had been take, ha- there had been situations that uh, Swamp Thing and Batman were involved in, but nothing really like this in depth where it's just the two of them. Um, also, obviously nothing to the, to the degree of Swamp Thing's father being killed and Batman investigating the murder. So that part of it, I think it was, it was a very interesting story. It surprised me in the end when you said film noir, I immediately thought, yes, that's what I kind of felt without, you know, actually making the connection because I thought to myself, it's basically like a whodunit. And Mm -hmm. then why did they do it essentially? Because eventually Mm -hmm. you figure out whodunit. So um, I, I enjoyed the issue as a standalone, but as the larger scheme of like the release of when it came out compared to everything else, I think it was poorly placed within the line of every the line of everything. But it was a, a good standalone story, and I think there may have been some necessity for the story here at this point. Um, I know in Constantine he's had some dealings with Swamp Thing, and I think that the Justice League Dark characters are getting brought into Trinity in a couple months. So I'm wondering if we needed to have this issue with Swamp Thing and Batman happen before he showed up in Trinity. Maybe this will be because he's obviously not super happy with him at the end of the story, you know? Um, so maybe they were doing it because they had to set that plot point up. Um, yeah. I mean, again, I shared Dustin's kind of like, wow, I don't know why we did it now instead of in two weeks, but um, I liked it. I mean, I, th- I think it was, it was fun. We don't get to see these two characters interact a lot. Um, and we definitely don't get to see much of Swamp Thing's, background so i think that this especially if you were a big swamp thing fan would be a very important story you know 
the interaction with his with his biological father. So, yeah, I mean, I think it was it was worthy, and I think it'll be part of Swamp Thing's bio moving forward. So, yeah, it's worth it. Uh, unfortunately, it, it does, I think, suffer and come at an unfortunate time. And and I guess you could complain either way that why is this being put in this particular spot, and also, you know, how sad that it, it's going to be basically overshadowed by the return of Bane. And I think we've had this problem before, I think in particular back to all of those crossovers that we had, and you could barely get into the story of the book you were reading before having something cross over and take you out of it. Um, I wonder if this would have benefited from being oversized, uh, so lengthening it a little bit more and having – uh, longer chapters, perhaps, and making it, you know, a special or an annual or something, so that it doesn't necessarily an annual interrupt. Makes, an annual makes the most sense. This would have been perfect yeah. as an annual story. Yeah, a little yeah. extra page count yeah, could have exactly. gone with it too. Yeah, yeah, especially since the annuals, I think, are are good times to have crossovers like yeah, this. And there's a lot of times uh, yeah. annuals don't necessarily fall in line exactly with what's going on. It's like the la- the actual Batman annual that came out, whatever it was, back in November. That one just told a series of short stories. It wasn't anything specific that was tying specifically into anything that, you know, it wasn't like a, a longer issue or, you know, just a larger page count to tell whatever story they were currently telling in the books. So it makes sense that maybe that's where they should have done it. I mean, I, obviously it would have been a little bit more difficult to do that since there is not going to be an annual for Batman until probably the end of this year, but. Yeah, I think I like it just like Ed did. I think it just comes at an unfortunate time because, you know, once I saw, oh, Bane's coming back, it just seems like... More Bane. <laughs> it, it, it's very odd. Yeah, so, oh, well, that it is it is what it is. My last question was, and it's funny that, that uh, Dustin, Batman himself, said something about it, but do you think Batman was naive to think that it wouldn't end this way? I think that Batman puts sometimes a little too much faith in his fellow heroes. The problem is, like, Swamp Thing, I can, I can honestly say that I'm not extremely familiar with Swamp Thing outside of the rare appearances that he's made in the pages of Batman comics and the few occasions I've seen him in animated form, whether it be a TV show or whether it be a movie. So like that being said, I I can't honestly say that Swamp Thing is a character that yes, would definitely just straight up murder somebody in front of Mm -hmm. Batman. But at the same time, like my knowledge of the character is that he, he probably wouldn't do that. So mm. if I was Batman, I would probably assume to myself, yes, this isn't going to happen. But the fact that it does, you know, clearly, like Ed said, if, if this is leading up to whatever's going to happen in Trinity in, in a few months, this is clearly, you know, th- they, there's a reason behind this because they could have just done it as, you know, they could have just made it where the, the killing didn't happen. But there was definitely a surprise um, and I didn't see it coming by any means. So. I can't imagine that Batman would have assumed that that this was a possibility. Swamp Thing's a weird character, man. Like, as you can tell from his um, dialogue in this issue, his morality doesn't really echo like a normal person. You know, it's all about the green and the rot and, you know. um, So, I mean, I I think he could totally believe it from Swamp Thing because Swamp Thing's character is one where he doesn't, his reactions are never normal. So the idea that his reaction would be so abnormal to the guy killing his dad would almost be normal in its abnormality. 
that makes any sense. It um, makes sense, but it's extremely convoluted. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Like, he's always so weird that it's no big deal when he's weird. So, um, and I do think Batman does, you know, give heroes the benefit of the doubt more often than not. So, but if anyone out there wants to learn more about Swamp Thing, there is a great uh, collected hardcover now of Scott Snyder's run on Swamp Thing from New 52, which is actually really good. Always out to plug Scott Snyder. Yeah, I got a job to do here, kids. Yeah. yeah. I, I really hope he's reimbursing you for all these plugs. I got a job. Yeah. yeah. Checks in the mail. Uh, as a follow up question, do you think that this was a bit of a wish fulfillment for Batman? And that's why he's upset because, or anti wish fulfillment, I guess, because he was unable to do this to his own father's killer and here he gets to see someone exact justice for someone who has killed his father so do you think he's not only ex- upset because he did break this moral code but perhaps there's also some jealousy there that gee swamp thing got to do the one thing that i was unable to or that i hold myself back from doing i don't know no i don't think in any way he's jealous about the fact that swamp thing straight up murdered this person who killed his father compared to Bruce not being able to kill his, his father's killer. Cause that, that, I mean, if he was jealous and that's actually, and, and he was upset about it, it just shows that ultimately Batman, if given the opportunity, that's what he would want to do. Not that he would do it, but that's what he would mm-hmm. want to do. And I don't think that Batman, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure at least, you know, it's been portrayed in comics and in, you know, visual media that Bruce Wayne wants to kill his parent or his parents killer. <laughs> <laughs> Not his parents. His parents killer. Um, yell at you talking about their friend. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but that that doesn't mean that now, as he is Batman, or in those incarnations that showed it that 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 way, that he hasn't gotten past the idea that he wants to kill. Um, I'm pretty sure. At least my perspective is that. Batman is not going to want to kill his parents' murderer one way or the other. He wants to see them have, ju- you know, he wants to see justice served. That's Batman, not let's just straight up kill the guy. So, in my mind, mm-hmm. I can't see how he would be jealous about that. If it, and I, but I, I mean, I guess I could see him being upset. But it, I think it more has to do with the idea that he's upset because you know he's he just broke the moral code of you know what superheroes should be. I could see it, maybe not consciously, but definitely maybe something twisting around in the subconscious a little bit. It, it is interesting. You don't realize until this very issue how much a parallel there is between Swamp Thing and Batman. I think before this, you'd be like, "There's they don't have anything in common. As for my first question, I thought he was a little naive. Like, he's so shocked that it's happening. I thought, oh, Batman. You know, when someone kills your loved one, and I don't know, I mean, besides loving the uh, early 90s film with Heather Locklear, and I can't remember who plays Swamp Thing, I don't really know, and also having an action figure that glows in the dark of Swamp Thing. Nice. Besides all that stuff, <laughs> when I was, yeah, a little, um, I don't really know too much about Swamp Thing, but basically when it was happening, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, that, I mean, you, you kill someone's loved one, and I think it was clearly not the best relationship, but um, it seems like they had gotten closer recently. Uh, And plus he had sent him letters and things like that. I thought, well, it was going to turn out that way. But Batman gets so upset. And I thought, I think you're a little naive there, Batman. But uh, these are all the questions that I have for you. All right. So, Batman, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five batteries. 
Uh, three out of five is good. I mean, yeah, I liked it. Three and a half. All right. So over on the website, Matthew gave it four and a half. So that's going to give Batman a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics. Detective Comics number 957, written by James Tyne IV and Christopher Sabella, art by Carmen Carnero. I'm sure that's exactly perfect. Yeah, I, I'm not very good at this, but... All right. As Harvey Bullock stands guard over the bat signal, which has been sabotaged five times in the past three weeks, Stephanie Brown, as the spoiler, distracts him with cockroaches as she rigs the light to blow for the sixth time. As she does so, she narrates in her head why she's chosen to set herself against Batman and the other superheroes in Gotham because of all the collateral damage. As she swings away from the GCPD, the armored villain Wrath and his minions, the Scorns, attack Gotham News Network in hopes of attracting Batman's attention and getting Wrath to the top of the heap where he defeats Gotham's Dark Knight. However, his plan to issue an ultimatum via live television is blocked by spoiler taking down the transmitter. As she takes down the scorn, Stephanie continues to articulate her reasons for her current course, that, and we see that Tim's death continues to provide a profound motivation and warping of her perspective. Successful in neutralizing the henchmen, Steph takes one of the helmets and jacks into Rath's network. The villain hears Batman's voice and follows it to Steph's trap. The voice he's heard is her recordings of, Batman's, uh, of Batman training her, and she uses her control of Rath's network to first zap him, then knock him down with a heavy metal slab. The police, led by Bullock, burst in, trying to take Steph into custody. However, she tells them that she wants them to take the credit, then uses a smoke bomb to disappear. She meditates on her next move, only to be surprised by Anarchy, who has been watching her and wants to help. All right, so the first thing I want to talk about is, so this is the first time we've seen Spoiler in a while. Um, She's clearly still set on her anti-Batman to a degree. Um, meaning she has, she, she's, you know, blowing up the bat signal, working against him. But in some ways, doesn't it seem as if what she's doing is still the same exact thing that she would have been doing if she was with Batman? She essentially takes down a villain who's trying to attract Batman's uh, attention. Um, she still, you know, takes down the villain. The police come in. She says she wants to give the police credit, but it's not like Batman's sitting there saying he wants credit for you know, all of the villains that he takes down. So isn't it kind of odd that she's basically saying, I don't like what Batman's doing because of the collateral damage, but at the same time, I'm going to have no problem doing exactly what Batman intends to do, even though collateral damage sometimes occurs. Yeah. You mean she keeps talking about how bad vigilantes are and she's dressed up as a vigilante beating people up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes. Yeah. I, uh, it's a direct contradiction. Um, I mean, I guess she thinks she's doing it a different way. I guess is, isn't that always the argument? Like any time heroes fight, it's we're all in the same. Just want to do the same thing, but we have different ways of doing it. I guess she thinks she's going to do it better without collateral damage. But there does seem to be a bit of a eyebrow raised moment here when you see what she says followed by what she's doing. I feel like possibly though she's trying to make vigilantes obsolete because this stage in the game what. 
Batman would do. She's giving everything over to the police, really. I think earlier, I think what she's trying to do is give them more legitimacy because basically the vigilantes took that away. And so it might be like a five-step plan or something where she's doing this now, handing them over to the police and like little by little uh, start to take over. And then, you know, the vigilantes can fade into the background. But she's basically trying to get out of the equation. So I do see it right now. It's certainly the same thing as Batman is. But I think in her mind, she's doing just like Ed said, I think she's going about it in a different way. Uh, I think probably consciously really trying to prevent collateral damage because this is how this whole thing even started with the victim syndicate and then going and and making the police back to where they were before Batman ever came into existence. You know, the, the problem that I have is just because if you eliminate the vigilantes from Gotham city and the police were taking down villains or just criminals in general, there's nothing to prevent normal collateral damage from occurring just from the police doing their job. So the problem is the idea of just being against everything that's happening because of collateral damage is just dumb because collateral damage occurs whether you want it to or not. That's the definition mm-hmm. of collateral damage. So the problem that I have is, you know, she's upset because of the collateral damage that occurs, the victim syndicate and all of those people who basically had things happen to them because of something related to an attack by a villain that maybe the villain wouldn't have been doing the attack. If it wasn't for Batman, maybe it would have happened. There's no way of knowing for sure. I mean, you basically you're on the line of, you have to either argue that these villains would exist. If Batman does, does exist or he doesn't exist, you know, would all of these costume criminals actually exist in Gotham city? If Batman never, you know, put on a costume himself and was fighting crime, I don't know. I mean, that that's a humongous debate that I don't want to get into at this point because that could you could debate that for a long time. But she's looking at this from the perspective of the collateral damage is bad. But what exactly does she go do? She goes and does she goes and does a superhero event doing something that normal public officials, meaning police, could not do themselves. They can't hack into you know Rass thing and try to convince him of walking into a trap and all that. They're not capable of that. So she goes and does something that they're not capable of, but it's all okay because she tries to give them the credit for it or she wants them to get the credit for it. But like I said before, like the Batman's not walking around saying, it was me, it was me. I, I did all of this. Everybody make sure that you praise me because I saved Gotham yet again. That just happens because people know that Batman's protecting the city. It's not that Batman's trying to make it seem like the police are completely incompetent by doing it, but the police were incompetent. And that's what prompted him to start doing what he was doing in the first place. So it's frustrating to see her character do what she's doing because it doesn't make a lot of sense. And honestly, I feel like this is all just going to be completely wrapped up very easily and get her back to where she's supposed to be once Tim Drake comes back. Because once Tim Drake comes back and we all know that Tim Drake is alive and she can get over the idea that the collateral damage is a big thing because she's stuck on this collateral damage because Tim's Tim died because of this. And the thing with the victim syndicate like reiterated what happened with Tim and made her think to herself that Tim could he could have been saved if it wasn't for Batman and all this stuff, which Yes, that's entirely possible, but Tim could have died by walking across the street and getting hit by a car, 
But he didn't. But he didn't, yes. So, I I mean, like, I can see her perspective, but I feel like the easy correction for her character, at least the way she's being portrayed right now, is just bring Tim back and suddenly she's all better. Um, which I... That's the easy way out, though. It is the easy way out, but honestly, I don't know how... Otherwise, what's the... Rede- like, how do you redeem this character? She's going to go to the links of... Which is my next question. She's going to go to the links of potentially teaming up with Anarchy now that we know that... She and Anarchy are actually going to be working together after the Azrael and Zatanna story that we're getting next. When that story comes and Anarchy and her are working together, Anarchy's very much, you know, he's there to cause chaos, blah, blah, blah. We'll see how that all plays out. But the idea of her working with a villain and going to the lengths of being against Batman so bad that now she's becoming, she's working alongside a villain it seems like she's going way, way too far that how can you really redeem the character unless you just play the easy card? Well, you know, anarchy at various times has operated more like an anti-hero than a villain. Sometimes I think we would agree on that. You know, like there's times where he's kind of in that anti-hero area and we haven't seen her do anything really villainous yet. Um, Maybe this story would be the redemption of anarchy. Maybe Steph redeems anarchy. That could be an interesting way to tell it, you know. She brings him over to the side because maybe he views her view on vigilantism closer to his beliefs. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, with Stephanie, I just, I mean, she hasn't done anything here that is villainous. You know, she was a positive force in the event, even if she, the who takes credit thing was kind of weird. Like you said, I don't, I don't see Batman. You know, issuing a press release every time he stops a mugging. But I mean, she hasn't done anything bad yet. I don't know if there's a true redemption there. I think you have a a young woman who's pissed that her boyfriend died and she's still looking on someone to take it out on someone. And she blames Batman. And we've all seen somebody who blames somebody for something that they didn't do. And it doesn't really matter if it's right or wrong, or you show them that what they're thinking is wrong. She blames him for the death of her, of her boyfriend. And she's still pissed about it. When you were calling him a villain, I felt like that was a little too black and white, different portrayals. I think put him (laughs) either actually a villain or sort of someone on the line. And um, and I mean, the first time that he speaks to her, he says, finding a new way to fight crime in Gotham. Like he's appreciating that. So I feel like perhaps while, you know, he does do some things that aren't very good. I feel like because he's already focusing and recognizing that she's trying to fight crime, maybe we'll be focusing more on the good aspect of it. She's she's against Batman. So I, I think already she's on some sort of line that she's not really been on before. Will she ever go down the path of her father or all the, you know, or Cassandra Kane back when she was a villain? I don't think so. Um, and I think it'll be easy to bring her back and it's probably going to involve anarchy. Honestly, he'll probably do something that's extreme. And then she'd be like, no, this is not what I wanted. And then she'll come back and there'll be a nice little happy reunion. Plus, if Tim comes back, he's certainly one of those people that would probably be able to speak some truth into her life. Um, so I don't think she's irredeemable. Oh, <gasps> my shit. 
I think that she can um, <laughs> she can come back, but I wouldn't say that she's so far gone anyways, and I kind of have high hopes that the system, but doing it in a positive way. And I, and I will say I probably was a little bit, too, like you said, too black and white with Anarchy. Uh-huh. Anarchy, Anarchy has been a straight-up villain in some incarnations, and more recently – uh, when he appeared in the pages of the Red Robin comic pre-New 52, he was more of like an anti-hero type character uh, because that's when he adopted the Money Spider persona. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, there are times where he has been more anti-hero than villain. Um, we don't know exactly, obviously, how he's going to portray. I was just putting it from the perspective of the cliffhanger left it as she's going to team with the villain. Um, that's That's where I was going with it. Not so much about the idea of, you know, is anarchy the anti-hero right now? But I do agree, Stella. I think that he probably will probably try to do something a little too extreme and she'll probably, you know, she'll probably back down from it. But I think the thing is, I'm not trying to say that she's not redeemable. I'm just saying, is there a way to get her back to, you know, her character that she was prior to this victim syndicate story other than just bringing Tim back? And it doesn't really seem like there is. All right, so I'm going to give this issue of Detective Comics a tool two and a half out of five. Well, I'm three out of five. Mm, wow. I'm going to give I'll go, uh, three out of five as well. All right, and over on the website, Ian gave it three and a half, so it's going to give Detective Comics a total of three out of five batterings. That is all of our in-depth reviews. Let's jump over to the website for Greater Gotham. First up, on May 24th, we have main TV books. Uh, Backroll number 11, as Backroll takes down Black Sun by goading him into a cell phone dead zone, he ends up getting burned and welcomed into his father's arms. Meanwhile, Frankie moves back in with Barbara, and Alicia and Joe are happy again. This review by Ian. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 Batman Beyond number eight. After learning the history of the suit Terry is currently wearing, the suit also presents a certain danger. The suit might not be Terry's only problem as he learns that Damian Wayne is the one behind the demon's mask. This is by Jim. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Abstain. Thumbs up. Mother Panic number seven. Violet investigates a new murder committed by someone wearing a body bag, all while Batman is keeping an eye on Mother Panic. This is by Jerry. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Abstain. Secondary TBU books. Main uh, Batman The Shadow number two. Batman continues to investigate the shadow as the stag moves in on new targets, including Leslie Tompkins. This is by Paul. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs way up. Abstain. Batman 66 meets Wonder Woman 77 number 5, which includes digital chapters 9 and 10. Fast forwarding to 1977, Bruce has retired as Batman and Robin patrols his Nightwing. Wonder Woman foils a crime in Gotham City and spots a hint that the Al Ghouls could be in town. So you had Jerry, he gave it 3.5 out of 5. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Uh, abstain. Abstain. Main DC Universe books, Just League of America, number 7, Killer Frost and Adam investigate a possible cure for Frost when they come in contact with the villain Terror Smith. This is you by Paul. He gave it 3 out of 5. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs down. Abstain. 
Suicide Squad number 18 as Waller tries to control General Zod. Zod proves that he has other plans by attacking the base and removing her ability to control him from his head. This prompts the team to try to take him down, but not before he releases Cyborg, Superman, and the Eradicator from the Phantom Zone. This is reviewed by Corbin. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Abstain. And then we also covered, uh, as part of our DCU spotlight, Deathstroke number 19, which was part three of the Lazarus contract. This sees the Titans and the Teen Titans tracking down Jericho and convincing him to help take down his father, while Deathstroke uses his speed to travel to the past to save his other son, Grant, from dying. This is by Ryan. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. Abstain. Secondary DC Universe books, uh, Action Comics number 980. As Superman investigates some of his villains escaping from the Phantom Zone, he heads to the Watchtower where Batman assists in tracking down the location of General Zod. Injustice Ground Zero number 12, which includes digital chapters number 23 and 24, the Injustice versions of Harley Quinn, Joker, Batman, and Poison Ivy all appear in the issue. Moving over to the, uh, the last Wednesday of the month, which was May 31st, there was no main TBU books, no secondary TBU books. There was DC bo- DC Universe books, which include Teen Titans Special Number 1. As Deathstroke races to change the past, the Titans and Teen Titans assemble to stop the villainous plot. The Lazarus contract concludes with some dire consequences for the heroes and villain alike. This would be about Ryan. He gave it one and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Uh, abstain. Abstain. Uh, and then Trinity Annual Number 1. As Cersei and Roz free the demon and Etrigan from Jason Blood. The Trinity must put their dinner on hold to stop the demon and his <laughs> from destroying the world. This was reviewed by Bill. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Uh, thumbs up. I like how ordinary and average they seem. They put their dinner on hold <laughs> to go fight this guy. I give it a thumbs up. Secondary DC Universe books, The Flash number 23, Batman makes a brief cameo when Barry references the events that took place at the end of the Button storyline. Wonder Woman annual number one, Batman appears in one of the stories showcasing Superman and Batman meeting Wonder Woman for the first time. And this past Saturday was Wonder Woman Day, and there was a special DC Superhero Girls uh, special edition number one, which features Barbara Gordon's Batgirl. And then as far as uh, TBU trades and hardcovers released in the past two weeks, we had Batman New Gotham Volume 1 trade paperback, Batman Wildcat trade paperback, JLA Year 1 Deluxe Edition hardcover, the DC Universe by Mike Magnola hardcover, the Superman Adventures Volume 3 trade paperback, and Harley Quinn Volume 6 black, white, and red all over trade paperback. So that's all of our books. Be sure to check out all of the other, all of the reviews on the website. We have uh, in-depth reviews of practically everything we mentioned here. Um, and so be sure to check out those reviews. We have new reviews posting Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday uh, of almost every single week, depending on what books actually come out. So be sure to check out the website for those. Also, you can follow us on Twitter for those updates as or uh, the updates on the reviews as they release. So before we jump into our listener Q and A's, I wanted to real quickly we we're going to have a quick discussion uh, about DC Rebirth. Um, over the past year, DC Rebirth has come and gone, and we've seen a number of different things. So. Uh, what I wanted to really talk about was kind of a year in the year in review, you know, year, you know, one year later from the launch of Rebirth, which happened at the end of May last year. What do we think about Rebirth as a as a launching point for, uh, you know, as a reboot essentially for certain aspects of the of the Batman universe, um, as a reintroduction to new readers of certain elements for for the Batman universe. Um, and different things that have just happened as far as the creators 
Um, the idea of having biweekly books, um, certain books, we had a price increase a couple months back, um, which includes digital free digital copies of certain books that are, you know, that are all basically the monthly books. You know, what do we think about how this compares to say, you know, DCU, (laughs) DCU, um, which happened in, in 2015 or even going further back to the new 52, since that was kind of very similar in the similar vein of having a massive, massive reboot. Um, this wasn't as big of a reboot, but it did relaunch basically everything as a number one, com- uh, except for action comics and detective, which went back to their legacy numbering. So kind of just a open conversation talking about how, what we feel about DC rebirth as a whole, not so much about the ongoing story of the Watchmen because we've obviously talked about that on a number of occasions and we will still talk about it as you know, in the future, once we get uh, the mini series, that's coming out in November. Um, but the idea is just like, how successful do you think rebirth was? I think it's been pretty successful. I mean, if you compare it to the new 50, I think it definitely compares lines up better with the new 52 than the DCU. Cause this was like a, a line wide relaunch. <clears throat> I've got a couple problems. I mean, I think overall it's been really successful. Um, the continuity thing is just confusing right now. I know that when we get done with, you know, the Watchmen stories and, and whatever they're doing, that we'll get all that line back out. But right now, continuity is super confusing. And it's been this way since the New 52. The the one miss of Rebirth, and maybe it's not a miss long term. Maybe they're going to get there as we kind of wrap up the event here. But we still don't know. Ever since New 52, how many times do we not know what's in continuity more and what isn't? Um, we went to Batman's history being five years long, and I guess we're we are now making that longer. Um, so it's going back to normal. I think um, that so far has been the biggest miss of rebirth to me was I was really hoping they would take this opportunity to reestablish some continuity, but instead it seems like we just kind of avoid the question in the books, you know, and just keep moving forward and kind of like, eh, we'll talk about that later. Um, so the continuity, I mean, from, from the storytelling aspect, I would say that the, um, the continuity is the one thing that I, I, I think that they fall down on. And then I got some comments later about like the two issues a week and stuff, two issues a month, things like that. But yeah, continuity, I think it's a big mess that it hasn't been straightened out better. Yeah. I would agree with Ed that it's just a big question mark for me. And I think to, to a certain extent, really melded well pre-Flashpoint to a certain extent and New 52. But then there are other books that the Rebirth title card is slapped on the front. Batgirl, quite honestly, which is why in my own show I always give the the number that's on the issue. But then I say, a.k.a., you know, number 60 or whatever, because it's basically a continuation. Something that I really have liked is Birds of Prey because – while it's got a bit of the newness with it that, you know, Helena meeting those two for the first time and Dinah and at sometimes, you know, having a surrender relationship as they did with the background title, but certainly better now. You also have the past coming back where, you know, Barbara Gordon was Oracle at one point in time, which I think was key. And we've been wanting, we've been wanting to know that for so long. I think overall stories are much better than they were in the new 52. Um, in my opinion, I think that Batman really got its start when Mark Doyle Editing, uh, because I felt like things were just really, oh, 
I don't know. I just felt like stories were better. Um, things seemed to make more sense, in my opinion, uh, and everything was worthwhile. I feel like I'm reading more titles now than I certainly was in New 52. And the titles that I'm reading, even though I did say abstain a lot in this episode, I very much enjoy, you know, Super Sons and Trinity. Like, there are a lot of great titles for anyone to pick from wonder woman which we don't talk about on the show is an amazing title by greg rucka uh, so i think there's so much more out there for uh more people and it's not all dark 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 which i think was symptomatic of the new 52 that things just seemed really dark and there were also lots of batman titles where he didn't need that many titles but i think here we have batman and detective and yes he does pop up in other things but i think it's great that we have two different stories going on in batman and detective uh, so overall, I think that it's much more successful than New 52. I, I think I feel like I'm not as stressed out about it or sad about it as I was. I won't talk about Batgirl, but um, <laughs> yeah. You know, as far as continuity goes, like Ed was saying, I honestly feel like like there's there's two ways I've seen this. You know, the the way that you mentioned it, Ed, you basically have you know what is what still happened. And what didn't happen, you know, what still exists within continuity, what doesn't. But then there's the other part of continuity, which is the continuity between all the books that are currently releasing. And as far as that part of the continuity goes, I think that they've done an amazing job of kind of playing off the fact that there's, it goes kind of with along with the the lines of, you know, we've got certain books that are coming out every two weeks so that you can do you know, you can do a, a story arc that that crosses over into like two or three issue, two or three series, but at the same time, still have over the course of like six weeks, you have all these issues that come out, and they can easily tell a long form story, but in just a short time, like six weeks or two months or something. So I think that part of it's really cool. But the other, there's other aspects, which is it really seems like there's a lot of cohesion, and not just when it comes to the TV books, because I think for the most part. There's always been a really good chunk of cohesion amongst the TBU books. But when you when you look at some of the books that are outside of the realm of the Batman universe, like Trinity, like Super Sons, which, yes, Damien is a main character, and I still consider that a TBU book in my mind, but it's it's a really a DC Universe book because it's a team book between Superman's son and Batman's son. So it's more of a, a DC Universe book because of that, just like Teen Titans and Titans is too even if Dick Grayson and Damian Wayne are, you know, main characters in the series. So, but there's a lot of like cohesion between a lot of the titles. And I think that that is done so much better. Like looking back at the new 52, for example, it felt like at the beginning that everything was a standalone thing. All the series that they were releasing, everything was telling its own story. Nobody wanted to admit that they were happening alongside the other stuff until crossovers happened almost a year or, you know, nine months after the launch of the new 52 with which the first crossover was night of the owls. Um, the Scott Snyder crossover for court of the owls. Um, that was the first crossover that happened. And that was like the first time that really anybody was kind of like saying, Hey, yes, this is happening in the same world as these other books, because for the longest time, everything was just happening alongside. You had Batman dating three different girls or sleeping with three separate women in, 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 you know, his various titles, but none of it really made a whole lot of sense. He was actually dating one of them. He was sleeping with a secretary and another, and then he was hooking up with Catwoman in their costume. Why do you bring this up? I bring it up because 
I bring it. The reason I bring it up is because it just doesn't make any sense that Bruce Wayne has all the time in the world to have all these relationships with. Of course not. He's a man about town. But that's my point. I mean, like there was was no cohesion amongst the titles. You had, uh, like, as we've pointed out multiple times, Penguin was popping up in practically every issue, but none of them made any sense when it came to how how was Penguin here involved in a gang war, but over here he's. He's cowering because he doesn't want to get found. Like there was, there wasn't a lot of cohesion. I feel like the continuity between the books since the beginning of Rebirth has been very good. There's been a lot of like unique characters that have crossed over. Um, you've you've seen, you know, outside of the fact that you've actually seen like like we talked about here, we had Swamp Thing pop over in Batman, which that would never really be a thing where you'd say yes, that makes sense as to that happening in the world of the new 52, because that just would have never happened. You'd have like Superman appear in a title that they actually made Batman Superman so that they could tell the story of Batman and Superman meeting for the first time and having, you know, these crazy ridiculous stories of the two of them having these past story, you know, past things that have occurred to both of them and, you know, telling the story from both sides just to have the, have the two of them in the same issue rather than just having Superman show up for a story arc. That was in the New 52. Now we've got like Trinity, which is Batman and Wonder Woman and, and Superman all appearing and all involved in the same stories. But at the same time, you've got them appearing in Justice League. You've got Batman over in Justice League of America. And even though some of the DC books have don't have as much cohesion as I'd like, it does feel like there's a much stronger effort to try to make sure that there is one universe that everything is happening in the same universe, rather than like having a character die in one issue and having the character completely alive in a, in a different book. So that being said, as far as continuity goes, I agree with Ed. I do want to get kind of a nail down of this happened. This didn't happen, but at the same time, the cohesion of the books since the beginning of rebirth, I think has been really, really good compared to what we had at the beginning of the new 52. Um, So let's, let's jump into the next kind of bullet point about this. Um, You know, you both mentioned either the price change or the, the issue, the frequency of the issues. One of the things I think we were most concerned about was the, continuance uh, or the the idea of having two issues of detective and two issues of Batman every single month. Obviously that means individually you have to spend more money if those are the books you're following, but at the same time, they've been able to do some unique things because of how frequently some of those books release. Um, They did at the beginning of rebirth, make a big deal about how they were holding the line at 299, which wasn't actually their, their motto at the time. That was an old one, right? That was an old one that they they, they did use in the past. Um, But now just a couple months back, we had a price increase with all of the monthly books, not the ones that come out twice a month, but the ones that are, that only come out once a month, every single one of those jumped up in price to 399, but now include a free digital comic code as a kind of buffer for the idea that you're paying an extra dollar. So, Let's talk about the frequency of the books as well as the idea of the price change and how the pros and cons of kind of that stuff that's happened. You know, we went to the two issues a month. I was really kind of um, unsure how that would work out. I mean, the the price point is one thing. Like, yes, we have to buy twice a month issues, so it's double. I mean, but I mean, that's okay. That doesn't really bother me that much. Um, but the quality of the comics was what I think I was worried about. And especially from art. And we've had to see some fill-in artists come in. 
Um, but now that well, we've been what about a year now, right? Since rebirth, give or take. Um, the two issues, I, I still don't have a great feel for it, to be honest with you. Um, sometimes I feel like it is causing like maybe some of the Tom King rush stuff at the end where it's just like the, seems like the endings are just thrown together. But then you look at detective and it doesn't seem to be having that problem at all. So I think that's probably individual writers. Um, the dollar price increase. I mean, I guess you kind of knew that was coming. I don't know. I still don't understand like how they, like they increased the books that are selling less and red hood went up, but Batman stayed the same. So I'm not, I'm not quite sure how that I still don't understand that that mode of thought with them. Like you'd think they would just do the the other ones, but um, I don't know the two issues a month thing. I think we'll eventually go back to one a month. Remember they did two issues a month, what in the nineties around nightfall and eventually went back to one. So I think we'll probably end up back at one issue a month at some point for the majority of the titles. I think that the delay, you know, so far we haven't had anything terrible, but we've had a, a couple pushes here or there. And the other thing about like, I don't know if you would call this the business side of it, but the non storytelling side of it is what they do seem to have been very good about is not, not canceling titles extremely quickly. Do you remember after New 52 how like they were books getting canceled with like two issues? We haven't had like the mass cancellations like we were having during the New 52. So I do think that them sticking with books has been um has been a welcome change as well. <laughs> I remember we had this discussion way back when and I remember I was always thinking about gee, is this ever going to work? And I was also comparing it to Dan Slott doing Spider-Man month and just thinking gee it's pretty overwhelming at times i am overwhelmed with the you know the number of issues that i have to keep track of um and in particular because i have to recap every episode of the tv comic cast now whereas i was I had to do one a month um i think there are times that they're not used well it's nice because i'm gonna be throwing out all of these all these thoughts here. So it's nice because you, it's a short amount of time between issues. So not likely that you will forget what has happened in the previous issue, because as we know, DC does not do little recap pages. And as we know from Batman and Robin eternal, sometimes they them or just Batman eternal, but here it's like, Oh, I can very easily recall what happened two weeks ago. The downside of that is because they're happening so fr- happening so frequently, I feel like there are some issues, especially in the Batman run. I think Detective has been doing okay. But in the Batman run, about, gee, what's happened here? Not much. One big story point will have happened, I think in particular with the Bane thing. He, I mean, remember that one issue where Batman just fought the entire way as like a narration was going oh, yeah. on? That was a letter, remember? And you're like, well, I mean, the letter was interesting, but really all he did was fight through hordes of men in order to get to Bane. So I, I think there, there perhaps is more filler than is intended, and I don't know. I don't think they're writing to fill, but I think that honestly, once you're writing two books each month and two of the same, that you're going to wrap up your story quicker than you would intend. So I do miss the normal... Or, or traditional once a month format. Uh, I, I miss that. I think back to, because sometimes I'm overwhelmed, like I said, with all the things we have to do or, you know, with all the, the ones we have to read. And I think back to when I collected 52 and Countdown, and that was a weekly comic. Yeah. And boy, was that, 
<laughs> Boy, was that overwhelming to read. So I, I sort of sometimes have uh, flashbacks to that. Uh, the price-wise, yeah, it's never good. Uh, I'm a little bit used to it because of Marvel. Um, they sort of hike up. You're never going to know what you're going to get. Mostly it's three ninety nine, but then there'll be like this oversize that all of a sudden you had you gave out four or five ninety nine. Um but it, it is strange as Ed was mentioning sort of the increases that they gave to some books but not to others. Uh they were also very particular when New Fifty Two began that they were drawing the line at two ninety nine and I guess that they're not doing that anymore. So that's a you know a bit of a disappointment. But money for things is obviously something you don't want, especially if it's not as worth it. But I think yeah, those are my thoughts there. As far as the the time goes for the the two issues, like Ed said, I was also concerned about the idea of you know the art suffering, the stories kind of suffering because as we've seen so many times in the past, specifically with Batman and Robin Eternal and Batman Eternal um, stories, the story did not always flow very well. Now, yes, that was a weekly issue. But the biggest thing was by the end of both of those series. The art was taking a humongous dive because one of the reasons for the art taking a dive on one of those was because Jason Fabic, who was very prominently featured as one of the artists for the series, was pulled off and sent over to Justice League. And then then there wasn't, you know, a big humongous name artist attached to it. We had other artists that, you know, the series would launch with and then suddenly halfway through the, the artist would disappear. Fast forward to Rebirth, and we had a bunch of big-name artists attached to a lot of books, and the question was, how are they going to work this? Is it going to be like in every other issue? Books like, uh, for example, Wonder Woman, they worked on a schedule where you know they had one issue taking place at a specific time frame with one artist, and then the other artist was taking place at a different time frame, and the books would just rotate, you know, Every two weeks, you get a new, you know, you get one of the one of the issues with a this, you know, one of the the two artists, and it worked like that for a year. They're they're taking a break. Greg Rucka has stepped off the book, um, and he's not leaving the DC universe by any means, but he is taking a little bit of a break after doing it for a year. But there's other books where we've had like David Finch and Mikkel Janin on um, Batman, where you know some of them will do like four or five issues at a time and then they'll take a break and then you won't see any art from them for months upon months. And then we've seen that eventually catch up to them in some regards because Mikkel Jannon hasn't been on any, he hasn't been on any Batman stuff in quite some time um, since before I am Bane. And now he's going to have a ton of stuff coming out with uh, war of the joke and the of Rid- war of joke and riddles. So the thing is like, I think, They've they've exceeded my expectations with that. Yes, we've had some fill-in artists. We've had some random one-off issues that just randomly appear inside of the storyline to make it seem, you know, that still tie within the confines of what's happening. But clearly is because the artist needs to have a break and they need to just kind of like give themselves a moment to breathe by having these individual one-off issues that, that just tell a single story. Um, as far as the price increase, I, you know, the thing is it was one of those things where it was bound to happen. It's just surprising because it ended up happening to the wrong set of books, in my opinion. Totally. I, I, I yeah. don't believe that. Um, I don't believe that the books that got the price increase, which were all the monthly books, which by the idea of DC, 
the books that are only come out once a month cannot maintain twice a month books because nobody's going to buy those books twice a month and spend $6. So rather than increasing the price of the books that everybody already knows are selling well because they're selling two issues every month and just doing a nominal increase of maybe like 50 cents or something like that, they do a dollar increase to all of the books that are only monthly that already have a, and I wouldn't say that they all have this issue, but the majority of them are not selling, you know, 50, 60, 80,000 copies per month by any means. They're just not. And when you look at a comic like Detective or Batman, where each issue is selling 70,000, when you combine the gross total for the month of those books, they're selling, you know, well over 100,000 issues per month. You, you see, it seems like that would have been the area to increase the price because those are the books that are selling extremely well. They can afford having a few people drop off because of a price increase. The books that are only selling 30,000, you know, copies per month, having a huge drop off because of a, in, you know, a 25% increase in price seems, or actually a 33% increase in price seems a little excessive. So that being said, I don't really know why they did it. It seems like it should have been the other way around. And I guess the only other, the only reason they did it the way they did it was because they insisted on going up only a dollar instead of doing it as a different increase. And I don't really understand that. It always seems like everything has to be a round dollar amount, even though it's, you know, the, at the four ninety nine, three ninety nine, two ninety nine, whatever. It always feels like it has to be at that amount. It can't Call be three forty nine, three fifty. Yeah, like why? Why can't it just be a fifty buck. cents? Like, why does it have to be a dollar increase? There was years upon years where increases were just ten, fifteen cents. You know, things like that, and then suddenly it went from like two seventy five to two ninety nine, and then now it's three ninety dollars only. Yeah. yeah, and then you know you get these special issues where it's suddenly four ninety nine or five ninety nine, and it's just like, what? What is the reason behind the entire dollar increase? I just don't Cash. get it. Some, it, that's exactly what it is, but it's just annoying. But it just seems like it would have made a lot more sense to do the books that come out twice a month that are selling very, very well and just increase them like a nominal 50 cents. You're still getting that extra dollar essentially per month that you would be getting on those other titles, but it's not that big of a difference per issue that people are going to be like, oh, okay, oh, yeah. instead of paying $6 a month, now you want me to pay $8. But instead of six dollars, you only want me to pay seven. That it seems like that would have been the better way to go, rather than having these issue. You know, these these comics aren't selling as well. But anyway, um, so the last really the the last kind of thing I want to talk about is you know we kind of already talked about the 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 art and stuff, but um, and we we also kind of you know briefly talked about the the story aspects. But do you feel as if the stories and as a whole have ran a little bit smoother with this, you know, with the bi-weekly schedule on some others being monthly. Do you feel like this scheduling has worked out well in their favor um, in the, in the terms of like, you know, what the story is producing? You know, I, I know that Stella, you made mentioned the thing about we are seeing more filler than we had in the past, but do you feel like as an overall statement, do you feel like it's better or worse than it was in the new 52? Well, I'd certainly rather get the stories every two weeks as opposed to like a dark night three, every two months, three months, four months. I don't know about smoother though, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, new 52 was, it had a lot of problems creatively, but as, but as far as the smoothness, it came out pretty much on schedule. You know, there wasn't a ton of delays in new 52. Um, 
Not until after the first six months. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it started off and, and then it, but then it was nothing crazy, you know, like not like dark Knight three stuff where it's like, so we're getting that final issue in next year. You know, like, I mean, it's, that's out of whack. Um, I just, as much as I like getting it every two weeks, as far as, um, uh, you know, the viewpoint of, like Stella said, you, it's a little more fresh in your mind. You know, you get to sit right to it. I I still think that maybe it needs to go back to a month. I just, like I said, there's filler. There's, like you said, we get these deluge of artists. Um, I just think, it, I think that it's a serialized medium. I would much rather have one issue a month with more page count. Does that make any sense? Like, charge me $3.99 for it if you want to. Which is still cheaper than buying two ninety nine twice. Hell, charge me four ninety nine. It's cheaper than buying two ninety nine twice, um, and do it at thirty five pages or thirty. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'd much rather have that. I think. So I don't know if it's any smoother. I mean, I think every every iteration of two issues a month, one issue. I think everything's got its own ups and downs to it. It hasn't been as problematic as I thought it was going to be. I'd like to see it go back to monthly, just for tradition's sake, um, and also to be less overwhelmed. Time. Yeah. Yeah, but I do feel like uh, stories overall have been better, I think, than the new 52. Um, yeah, like I said, I'm reading more than I have. I can't say, I don't know, ever have, but especially since new 52, I, you know, goodness gracious, let's take, there's one example that sort of encapsulates everything, and that's Red Hood and the Outlaws. <laughs> Do you remember oh, yeah. how bad that book was? In so bad. So bad. Oh, and now it's gosh. so I remember good. The first now it's issue so good. Was, yeah. I, <laughs> the first issue, I think, was talking about, like, having sex with Starfire. Wasn't it something bizarre like that? Well, and um, but now it's like actually it's good. It's enjoyable. It's uh, worth its you know its little price tag. So you know I think that's just an example. But overall, I do think that the stories are better. Yeah, I think the stories are better too. The the last thing I want to like find uh, to to fall on is the idea of the. The, the overall idea of Rebirth was to basically, you know, get back to the legacy of a lot of these characters. The New 52, I think, I mean, for all of us, I think when the New 52 was announced, we were all very, very, very upset about the idea of them. <laughs> what an understatement. And it really is. But, I mean, like, the thing is, we were, <laughs> we were all very upset about the idea that they were saying continuity doesn't matter. We don't care about continuity anymore. And we're doing this because we need to bring in new readers. But all of us who are longtime readers, we had been reading these comics for years and years and years and basically lining the pockets of everybody at DC with, you know, the continuous buying, we're being told we don't matter anymore. And all that matters is these people who don't even pay anything for comics at this point. And I think that was really frustrating. And the idea of rebirth was them saying, you know, we realized that we, we did a lot of things that we probably shouldn't have done with, with uh, the new 52. And we really want to get back to the legacy of a lot of these characters. Um, A lot of the characters have reverted back to, you know, very similar, if not the same characteristics of the way they were pre new 52. Um, Some other characters still have uh, remnants of, uh, of the way the character was within the new 52, but somehow, you know, combines it with some of the stuff that the character had pre new 52 as well. Um, But I think the, the idea was that, you know, they were trying to address the fact that they made a mistake by ignoring the legacy of the characters, 
i.e. ignoring the legacy of the fans who supported these characters for, you know, decades. Um, so do you feel that Rebirth, because, I mean, at least when they made the announcement, I remember Ed and I were listening to the actual live stream and, and right. did a reaction. And, you know, they were very adamant about apologizing about what they did with New 52, and they didn't need to. They could have just said, we are doing this, but instead they apologized for what they did with the New 52, and it really felt as if they were apologizing to the longtime fans that they felt they let down. Um, so with the launch of Rebirth and now one year in, do you really think that they've, they've really changed around it and what's happening now is, is, is better than what we were getting in the new 52 from a long-term fans perspective? Yeah. I mean, yes, I do. I, I, well, I think what's definitely going to be better. I, they have drug it out to the point. And I, I know some people disagree with this and this, but they have drug this out to the point of, comical like rebirth came out a year ago right like come on um i think that they're, <laughs> i think they're trying to be better do you know what i mean like they're trying to set the characters back as, as the legacy characters i mean i've done a lot i mean you know just bringing someone like wally west back where you know the world was so upset that he was gone um get, stretching out the timeline for batman i mean there's been a lot of positive there's been some negative too, but nothing, you know, awful. But I think they're trying to get the universe put back together. Um, I think a lot of us were hoping when the concept of rebirth first got branded around that this was going to be a uh, one shot and then like a, a month or two of, of stories. And then we were going to like essentially go back to, to the pre flashpoint type universe, but that didn't, uh, that hasn't transpired yet. And maybe it has transpired. They just haven't told anybody because we really don't know. Um, but I think they've, they've put a lot of the characters back where they need to be. I don't know if you guys read Superman, but that convoluted, um, story about them trying to reset the, the new 52 Superman and then the pre new 52 Superman. Um, I think sometimes I know this is going to sound like something strange, but sometimes I think that they go about it in too stringent of a matter. Like if you've made a mistake, just put some wanky thing in and fix it. <laughs> like don't take a year or eight months dragging it out. Just be like, Oh, Whoa, flash ran to a supernova. Bam. It's back. Like, you know, like just get it over with already. Um, I think that they're definitely getting there and they've done a lot of good work, but they are dragging their, do you think they'll ever get rid of the the blue title card at the top and just like this is it, or it, it does it is it serving a particular purpose? Like we're going to leave rebirth at some point. I, I feel know. like I feel like that's going to be there because if you look back at How long the new fifty two, yeah, the new fifty two stayed there for a while. I want to say it was like up until like issue thirty thirty six or oh, like three years long? in. It was a long time. Oh, okay, um, but I want to say that the rebirth stuff might that banner might go away. But the thing is, they've also been utilizing that banner in other ways too. Like the rebirth things there, but then they also are using that same top area of the, the cover to actually put the title of the story arc too. Um, so I don't, I don't know if, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know if they'll get rid of it. I mean, anytime soon, I want to, I want to say, sure. They will eventually get rid of it. It's kind of interesting because one of the things I've noticed is that, you know, Wonder Woman uh, came out in movie theaters, obviously. And in the past, when they've had DC movies come out or even DC TV shows first, oh, yeah. 
they used to put the banners at the top that said, you know, this is premiering and this date or this movie's coming out. They did it with Man of Steel. They did it with Dark Knight Rises. They did it, they with, did it with Arrow. Like, a couple yeah, they of did it with seasons. Arrow. I think Flash. they... I yeah. think they did with the flash. Um, I don't remember them doing it for Supergirl or legends of tomorrow, but I honestly couldn't tell you for sure if, if it was there or not. Um, but like, I just remember they even did it with way back in the day when the green lantern movie originally came out. Um, so, I mean, like they've done it a bunch of different times. Now, one thing I've noticed is that if I remember correctly, when suicide squad came out, it was just like a little emblem on some of the covers and that they just did, you know, wonder woman just came out and they did the same thing. They just had this little emblem on the cover rather than having like a giant banner at the top. And I'm fine with it one way or the other. But one thing I've noticed is when they release the cover art for the actual you know, with the solicitations, for example, the, the, you know, there's a giant portion of the cover art that seems to be like that disappears once the actual issue releases because of the banner and the title of the comic, it seems to just like disappear. There's some, sometimes where, you know, the, the covers are actually designed in a manner that makes sense where the top is completely irrelevant. So it doesn't matter what's there because they're just going to plaster the title on it at the top anyway, but that to me is just slightly annoying because it seems like there's less on the covers because of, you know, basically like one fifth of the cover is taken up by the title of the comic and that giant banner at the top. So that's the only thing that's slightly annoying. And I know that there are people who are really annoyed with, who are like, you know, hardcore collectors and stuff who are really annoyed by those banners for the movies and the TV shows taking up a big portion of the front cover too. So I hope that they do figure out some way of getting away from that banner thing at the top, just because it is slightly annoying as far as, you know, just making the comic more appealing. Yeah, I, I think we are. I think I would just like to say that characterizations I think are more authentic or my idea of authentic than they were with new 52. Yes. I still grumble a little bit about, Barbara Gordon. But if I were to think back to the new 52, it's, it's obviously much better. I think the tones are dark when necessary, but also lighter. Um, They're not unnecessarily dark, which I felt like my soul was dying when reading new 52 stuff. Um, I think, well, honestly, and we don't have people randomly sleeping with other people, uh, which was like, I mean, there is so many random dalliances in new 52 that I, I just couldn't keep up. Shipper Spotlight couldn't keep up. <laughs> Do you remember <laughs> oh, those articles I used to write? Um, so I, I think overall we are in a better place, um, at least in com- you know in comparison to New Fifty Two. It's hard to think back now to pre Flashpoint and then compare it and say, are we in a better place? And it's interesting now also because you know I'm in the nineties with my. Barbara Gordon readings. I'm getting ever closer to Cataclysm. And there are some really great stories in the 90s. And so it's interesting to think back and like compare it to, to where we are now, especially since we see or we are seeing villains that, you know, had their origins way back when. So to see Bane now and reflect back when I was reading Nightfall and things like that. So I don't know if I could say we're in a good place or a better place with pre-Flashpoint, but I will definitely say that we're in a better place compared to New 52. Just to wrap up, uh, my thoughts as far as are we in a better place, I think that we are in a much better place. I think I'm enjoying the comics a lot more than I was in the New 52. Um, the, the the grim darkness that 
was basically overpowering the entire Batman universe, no matter what series it was, whether it be any of the four Batman titles or whether it was, you know, the Batgirl title um, or Nightwing or whatever. Or anything. Or anything. <laughs> it was it was very it was very dark and it was very annoying. And like Stella said, there was way too much uh, sex situations that were occurring. It just felt like they were just basically trying to like make everything more adult themed out of necessity rather than, you know, having a real reason behind it. Um, I I'm enjoying the stuff that's been happy in rebirth. Clearly, you know, I've enjoyed some stories based off of my readings rather, you know, higher than others. But at the same time, like I'm really glad that there's a book that actually focuses on the bat family and not just, you know, four books that deal with Batman and one of those has Damien as a side character, but there's not a whole lot that happens. Um, the th- this right now, I mean, with Detective Comics featuring so many of the allies of Batman that you know work in the confines of Gotham City that I consider part of the Bat family, I mean, that's a huge thing that was missing in the New 52, and I, and I really appreciate the fact that somebody like Tynion One appreciates that that needs to be there and that DC recognizes that it also needs to be there rather than just having yet another Batman title telling just a singular Batman story. Um, But at the same point, the stuff that's been happening in Batman as a singular Batman story has, you know, overall I've enjoyed it's, you know, it's the, you know, it's had, it's had its ups and downs, but I've enjoyed it. Um, All-Star Batman just continues to be, whatever Scott Snyder wants it to be fun. Um, You know, it's been fun. It's, I think it actually has been more fun than, um, than some of his stuff that felt like it was a grander scale than it needed to be. But I think that was just because DC was putting a little bit too much on him with creating so many events around every single story arc that he wrote in the new 52. Um, now he can just tell his fun stories, you know, and he doesn't have to be confined to six issues or three issues or one issue. He can do 19 issues. He can do it as short or as long as he wants it to be. Um, and just, you know, have enjoy telling Batman stories. And I think that's important for a writer to not get burnt out because he was on Batman for a long, long time. And to basically be the person who, you know, has to live with the idea of you are DC's best selling book on a normal basis, month in and month out. That's a lot of pressure. I mean, that's, that's a whole lot of pressure. And then to constantly be told, okay, you're doing this. Okay. We want all these other titles to tie into what you're doing because we need to give them a sales bump. Um, You know, it's a lot of pressure. So it's, you can see that the pressure has kind of been removed from him when you read all-star. If he, you know, even from the very beginning of the launch of all-star, he clearly is having more fun. And I can appreciate the fact that that's been happening. Even if I don't always agree with the direction that he decides to go in with certain elements, I can see that he's having more fun doing what he's doing. Um, So, but th- you know that's that doesn't even cover like the biggest chunk of everything, which is all the other TBU books that we cover as part of Greater Gotham. You know, Super Sons I've extremely enjoyed, even though it's only been around for a couple months. Uh, Peter Tomasi is one of the writers where I, I kind of never want him to leave the Batman universe. Um, you know, he does occasionally leave here and there, but I, I that, that guy I just need him around. On a Batman yeah. book, just Batman, for the, and Trinity too is so yeah, good that he does. Yeah. And, and Trinity has been really good too. Um, there's, there's, uh, but I mean, like even even looking at like Nightwing and Red Hood and the Outlaws, Batgirl, Bat, Batgirl, Birds and Prey. 
Um, all of those books, like they have their moments, uh, some obviously much more than others. Um, Red Hood and the Outlaws has probably been like the one, like Shock. I actually remember yeah. when they announced saying that Scott Lobdell was going to be on Red Hood and the Outlaws, I immediately dropped and was like, are you kidding me? Again, you're telling me you're trying to go in a new direction for all these books. And this is what you're doing. You're putting the same guy who was on the book all of these years and did nothing worthwhile and completely obliterated the characters. This is what you're doing. And I was so upset about it, but honestly, it has been the biggest surprise by, by all means uh, out of uh, rebirth, because every issue has been extremely enjoyable and you can tell that, Either he was completely editorial mandated to do what he was doing in the New 52, or he completely decided that he wants to change his entire tone about how he writes a comic because everything in that book is completely different than it was in the New 52, and it's the exact same writer. And there there has to be you, – you, you can chalk it up to whatever you want – but clearly something had to drastically change either in his personal life or whether it had to do with behind the scenes editorially at DC to make a book go from being just horrible to really, really, really good month in and month out. Um, so like by, by far, I will give Red Hood and the Outlaws like the underdog unexpected award of the year. Um, because I, I can't believe how what what that book has turned out to be and how good it has been. Um, and that's not to say that there's not other books that are as good. It's just I had the lowest possible expectations. Well, we thought it was going in. same character, same writer. Why would we think a different result? Exactly, you know? exactly. Like, and it has been completely opposite of what everything we expected. So. But yeah, rebirth. One year later, I think uh, overall, I think we're in in good shape as far as uh, what we're getting from DC. I'm excited to see what's coming. Obviously, I can't wait till November when we actually get the uh, the follow up to the button with uh, kind of delving in. And also, the, more importantly, I can't wait for the return of Jeff Johns because the guy can easily craft you know a massive event and tie in so many different a- you know aspects of the DC universe including obviously the Batman universe um, that I have, I, I like there's, there's nobody at DC that I honestly have that much faith in doing what he does. And I I'm super looking forward to it. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens one way or the other. We'll be reviewing on the, the website um, and we'll obviously be talking about it here on the podcast, but, but yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to what's come. So with that, we're going to jump straight into our listener Q and A's. And the very first comment we have comes from Ian. Completely agree on the button. I feel like it could have felt satisfying, but just having Batman, quote unquote, doubt his mission is not an effect. The Tim Drake reveal seems like it should have been a solid, satisfying movement forward, even if it's just a mention. Uh, obviously, yes. you agree with us, so we yes. agree with well, you. We agree with you. Yeah. Um, so, well, um, I mean, the biggest thing is the the doubt is is something where I feel as if the doubt is a real thing that we should all be staring at and saying this is the actual effect of what happened in the button then batman number 24 should have clearly reflected that doubt rather than just being this listen singular issue with swamp thing there's two stories batman stories i can do without forever 
I don't need another <laughs> seriously. I don't need another Batman doubts himself and wonders if his parents like I we've we have seen that story wrote 50 times, some good ones, some bad ones. I don't ever need it again. And the other one is the did Batman really create the villains by being bad? Like, I don't need that one anymore. Like, you know what I'm saying? How many times have we had that those two storylines? Like the reason the villains got crazier because Batman beat him up and that made it like I get it. We played that we played that dance card, man. Please, those two stories, put them to bed for like till 2025 or something. Yeah, and that's all soapbox. Uh, I don't know. I I like. I think it's a, a question that's never going to go away. I mean, you may want to not have it in your face all the time, yes. but I think it's just an interesting question of you know, yikes, um, did bat you know the chicken the egg basically? And then I think there's also a question of escalation, which I think was nicely brought to the forefront in I guess it was Dark Knight, right? Mm-hmm. The Batman film, I think it was the end, right? It because, you know, yeah. yeah. So if he gets bigger and better, what happens to the, the villains and everything that comes out? For me personally, I would say that the story that I don't want to see again is Death of the Family. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> another, another, I know. Another time, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, We're going to have to have the Death of the Family um, throwdown episode at some point, by the way. We just. We'd have to reread it. Like it'd have to be a retrospect. We read it all in its trade paperback form, and then come back and like do another review for its tenth anniversary. Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. All right. And then uh, our last comment comes from Gringo Star. Now, just to preface this, Gringo. Yes, that's 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 his name on Twitter. He actually posted this on Twitter as a series of tweets that he was tweeting after listening to the last episode. So I try to compile them. Um, I, I hope that as Stella reads them, they come out across clearly because I didn't have a whole lot of time to kind of read through and flesh out the punctuation and everything to make sure that yeah. it all worked out. But this was a series of tweets, and he ha- he was very, very taken aback by our review of the button. So, uh, Stella, take it away. Uh, seriously speechless at your review of the button. You guys just want everything at once. It's a long play story. Nothing happened. Bruce stood face to face with his actual father and nothing happened. Are you freaking serious? Firstly, I feel like both situations with Bruce and Thomas came across absolutely massive for me. I mean, the whole Batman ethos is based around Bruce and his parents. And here's Bruce standing in front of his dad having an interaction, which I never really expected to happen. I thought reverse flash ripping up the letter was very emotional also. And then I really felt the gravity affected the end when Bruce was ignoring the bat signal and I think really writing that moment off. Because, well, we know Bruce isn't going to stop being Batman because he's responsible (laughs) for 65% of sales is cop-out and unfair. By that logic, what's the point of reading at all? We all know Batman is just going to win in the end. I think with any literature, you have to make a conscious decision to suspend disbelief and buy in to a certain extent. I really felt like those words and interactions had a huge effect on Bruce, and Tom King has said we'll be dealing with fallout in War of Jokes and Riddles. I would consider Reverse Flash showing up. Thomas Wayne and Bruce and then Jay Garrick were pretty huge revelations, even if being left to fully explain later on. I'm enjoying the slow burn with the rebirth storyline, and I don't feel like I need a button ah, on the end of it at this point. I like beefing out the mystery, making it deeper, and I genuinely can't wait for the next bunch of crumbs. Let's let's uh let's deal with the, the first comment. So I mean I will say this. The I, I do recall Ed making the comment about 
obviously Batman cannot stop being Batman. He's, you know, he takes up 65%. And I remember hearing that and thinking to myself, (laughs) it's true, but that's not a reason why you do what you do. You don't, you don't not tell a story because of that reason. So in, in the defense of yes, that obviously you can't hold back and, 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 and not tell your story of Batman, not being Batman because of that reason. And, and that's to say they, they've actually have taken Batman out of the cowl in the past and still have had the Batman books, you know, continue on and, and so forth and so on. But here's the thing here. Here's, here's the, the problem that I had. I, when I was reading the tweets that you sent, I, was stuck with this thought in my mind of, you know, what was really the real thing that I got out of this crossover? You know, what did I get out of it? And the problem is that I feel as if the end of flashpoint where Bruce gets the letter from his dad is more emotional than him actually meeting his dad because of, oh, yeah. because of two things. One, this isn't his real dad. Um, and I had this argument with my wife, over this <gasps> way, way too long because we were talking about the button. And I said to her, I was like, it's not his real dad. This is a guy, this is this is his dad if on a separate timeline. Yes, in some weird twisted way, it is his dad. You can look at it and say, I'm fighting alongside my dad. But it's not actually his dad. His dad died. His dad is dead. Just like Thomas Wayne, his son is dead. This is not really <gasps> his son. This is just somebody who is exactly like his son. This is what his son would have turned out if things went differently. It's a separate timeline. It's not the same. If I met myself from a separate timeline, am I going to get pissed off because the other version of myself is completely different in a good or bad way? Yes, I could get pissed off, but should I sit there and be happy about the fact that I learned so much about this other timeline? No, not really. I don't really care about it. So my thought was, it's not as emotional, like to get the letter and say like, this is, I'm so proud of you. You know, you know what you're doing is, you know, I'm so proud of what you're doing. That letter was an emotional moment. The single tear that came from Batman when he read the letter was an emotional moment because you don't see Batman cry. When you look at the two of them meeting Thomas and Bruce meeting in this flashpoint universe, it just didn't have the emotional effect as, as much as the letter did. And I, and I think it's just because it's not actually his father. It's not actually, you know, it's not actually Thomas's son. And that's the way I look at it. My wife, on the other hand, is telling me that, no, that it really is his father. It's just it's what, what would be his father if it was a different thing. And I'm like, yeah, but it's still not his father. Like, it's not like this is what would happen if my father didn't die in my timeline, because it's not the same thing. Like everything is different because it's a separate timeline. We know this because we saw the flashpoint universe and how twisted everything is because of a few small chain of events that are different from the normal timeline. So I didn't view it like that. Now I know because there was other people who commented about the fact that it was a very emotional moment between Thomas and Bruce. Clearly there are people, including yourself, Gringo star, who thought, who, who thought of it as a very emotional moment because you view it like that. I personally just didn't view it like that. So it didn't have the emotional effect that maybe it should have had. Um, but the biggest thing for me was the, the doubt that was cast at the end, um, and, and and I did I do remember saying this the doubt that was cast with him not responding to the bat signal right away that would have been fine if Batman number twenty four came out and he actually wasn't responding to the bat signal he wasn't wearing the Batman cowl 
But for some reason, whatever happened, we have this issue where he's investigating the murder of Swamp Thing's father in the very next issue of Batman. And it kind of negates whatever the point was to happen. Now, sure, it could play out in the war of Joking Riddles. No, it can't. That's a prequel. It happens back in the Zero. No, but see, that's the thing. I think what's actually going to happen, and I don't know that this is what's going to happen, but my guess is what's going to happen is the issue with Swamp Thing was just kind of like, this is a one shot to kind of give us some breathing room to make sure we can get everything out on time. That's what happened. That's why it doesn't really fall in place with what happened with the fallout of the button. The epilogue, I don't know how that's going to play out, but maybe he does hang up the cowl, and that's why we revert back to this prequel story for, you know, a couple, you know, whatever, however long it's supposed to last. That's the only thing that's the only thing I can think of because I don't know how else it's going to, uh, you know, how else they're going to play this off. But at the same time, we know that Batman's still going to be in the pages of Detective Comics. So again, so it's not like it's going to have this giant effect. It's not so much about the fact that him having the doubt, we're looking at it from the perspective of Batman can't, he cannot not be in the cowl. It's more of a look at everything that we know is coming it can't be that way because of what we know is coming. And that's the biggest thing. And again, just the earlier point that I just got off of my soapbox was I've just, I'm kind of done with the story, you know, like, listen, gringo, man, I'm, I'm glad you got more out of the story than I did. Maybe I went into it with higher expectations. Maybe I went into it thinking that I was going to get some kind of definitive answer on this Watchmen stuff that we didn't get. But listen, flashpoint is really, really good, including some of the tie-ins. Um, especially the Batman. Massive, massively good. I, I yeah. like Flashpoint by far is one of the events that I appreciated and enjoyed more than a lot of stuff in the DC universe in a long time. Yeah. And even to like, do you remember the uh, Batman tie-ins, you know, oh, yeah. the Joker, that stuff, really, really good stuff here. And this button stuff, I mean, it was fine. Like I am not trying to rag in the story. It's not like I thought this was terrible. You heard us review it. It was fine. It just was pale in comparison to the emotional hits that we took in the flash. You know what I'm saying? Like flashpoint was real. That story with uh, Martha is the Joker. It is a gut puncher. You know what I'm saying? This was just, this seemed just like window dressing to me. I'm, yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. I mean, I don't think it was like terrible. Uh, I just, I think that just, just wasn't for me. Yeah. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is even though we were not super pleased with the ending of the button, we still did give the Batman issues, you know, fairly decent ratings. They each got an average of three and a half out of five. You know, that's not like a, you know, middle range, 50%, two out of five, two and a half out of five. But it, I mean, sure. It's not like an amazing rating, but like I said, like, there were reasons, and I felt like we gave justification behind the ratings that we gave. But also the thing is, we weren't rating the entire storyline either. Because honestly, I feel like if the, the, the storyline was rated as a whole, I would have given it a little bit slightly lower than the individual Batman issues. But that was specifically because I went into this with super, super high expectations. And I think part of it was just because they marketed it as it was like this giant turning point for the rebirth storyline, the Watchmen stuff, and we come out of it and we didn't really get a whole lot of change. Sure, the emotional moment between Thomas and Bruce, if you perceive it as an extremely emotional moment, it's that can fine. be taken as a thing. You could you could portray the 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 doubt that you know that Bruce has at the end of uh Flash number 23, you could portray that as a huge moment, sure, but none of that actually furthers the actual rebirth story, well, which is the problem. And I think, too, to to be very honest here, 
he hit on something in the points he made. There was more major. We're a Batman podcast, right? And we probably all of us have watched the Flash television show. I read Flash. There was more Flash stuff here than Batman stuff, in my opinion. Reverse Flash dies. Jay Garrett comes back. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think there was maybe more for the Flash side of this than the Batman side of it. Flash had some lasting impactful stuff. I mean, Reverse Flash is dead. If Jay Garrett comes back, that means the Justice Society will come back. These are major, major things in Flash. And a character like Jay Garrick missing would be like if we were missing Nightwing. You know what I'm saying? Like a major character in the in the Flash universe. So I think that maybe it just had more to appeal to the Flash side of the 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 readers too. All right, so go ahead. Did it give us specific answers? No, but I really felt like it added a lot to the mystery, and it's almost like it's pacing in real time. I think if it was something like first issue reveals reverse flash, second issue Thomas Wayne, third issue Dr. Manhattan is standing there, and fourth issue Tim Drake is revealed is just too much too quick. I think it will make sense more when more is revealed, which is fine in my opinion. At the end of the day, maybe we don't know much more about the actual quantum mechanics of Rebirth, but we had four really cool issues with some really cool moments. Bruce met his dad, Thomas telling him not to be Batman, shocked-faced emoji. Batman and Reverse Flash fight, and that issue with the clock counting down was sweet, and then Jay Garrick showing up was awesome. At the end of the day, I loved it, and I'm even more excited to see what happens next than I was before it. I respect your opinions and love the show. I think sometimes it's just one of those things where it's hard to get excited for or buy things when you've seen it all already. But it's comics. Just got to roll with it and see where it goes. Sorry for the essay. Ha ha. Hope it makes sense. Hard to do this on Twitter. Long story short, I mean, we Good. had a difference. We had a difference opinion, but like I said, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. I mean, like That's if fine. people people don't agree with us all the time, I mean, it would be like, boring as hell yeah, too. It would be it would be really boring. Sometimes it probably yeah. is boring just listening to the three of us go on and on about how we love something so much, but none of us actually dislike something because a lot of times we're the three of us are on the same page. So when a listener is not on the same page as us, it actually presents a nice little discussion. So I hope that you don't take our comments that we were saying as like, we don't appreciate what you're saying or, you know, you're wrong. We're right. Because it's not really that kind of situation. It's more of a, just we're defending our position. You have your position and that's that. So yeah, I don't like, I'm, I'm fine with, you know, I can completely understand that people could see and view certain things that happened in the button as much more, you know, emotional or much more thought provoking or even just more happened than what we did. I think the biggest thing was I was just expecting something else specifically linked to the Batman universe. And the obvious thing would have been the Tim Drake stuff because of him being on the cover. Even if we didn't know the spoiler stuff that uh, ended up not getting published. If, if we just knew what we knew based off of red Robin showing up on that lenticular cover, then and not getting anything, that's a disappointment because I want to know what's going on with Tim Drake. And being told by writers before the button actually came out saying, oh, pay attention to what's going on in the button if you want to know what Tim Drake's going, what's going on with Tim Drake. Yeah, that was kind and of and not flag. seeing that, yeah. it's kind of like, yeah, I'm really disappointed. But I think that a lot, a lot of that has to do with uh, me wanting Tim Drake back in the fold and not out locked in Mr. Oz's uh, prison, whatever. whatever Yeah. So, and and use this as a call out. And if, if people have 
disparaging opinions or differential opinions from the ones we have, definitely write in the show comments. Like it does make for good conversation. It's totally cool. Like we're not going to be like, you don't agree with us. You're dumb. You know, like I like a dissenting opinion. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And so with that, I'm going to implore everyone to, as usual, go. leave comments on the podcast post on the implore! website. That's right. Implore. I, I was waiting for Stella to call me out on that. Um, but I, I honestly, it's a good idea if you have comments to leave those comments on the podcast post so we can talk about those. Obviously, if you leave comments on Twitter, I will see those too. I just don't always always populate those over to the comment section just because it does. it's just a little bit more effort and I don't always remember to do it. So leave your comments on the podcast post and we will be sure to discuss those on the next episode. Um, also, at this point, I also want to remind you to support us on Patreon. Um, right now, we are currently sitting at uh, about uh, $62 on Patreon. Um, we love to get that up higher. So if you could support us, even just $1 a month, we'll enter you into a, a monthly Batman uh, item drawing where every month we give away a Batman item. Um, if you are interested in doing that, or if you're just interested in, and, and that's obviously a reoccurring dollar every single month, you'll you'll get charged the dollar or $5 or $10 or how much ever you want to donate. We um, take money. There, there is definitely different options of, of giving different reward tiers as well of giving money. But the big thing is, um, that money helps support TBU. We recently upgraded the server to, you know, be faster, load more, more reliable and things like that. Um, and obviously support the massive amount of podcasts that we have to offer. Um, whether it be back to Oracle, the comic cast, the normal cast, uh, Bruce Wayne's world, bat books for beginners. Um, there's all kinds of stuff that we have. And, and, uh, there's a humongous back catalog of, of, of episodes that we've been producing for years and years and years. So please support us. If you can't support us on Patreon, you can click the PayPal link on the homepage in the sidebar. You can do a one-time donation if that's something that you'd rather do. Or if you don't want to donate any money but have time to spare, we are always looking for a number of people to help us support us in a variety of different areas. And I say this every time, and I, I, I very rarely ever get any uh, anybody who's actually interested in helping us out, but uh, we are still looking for news writers. Uh, news is always lacking on the site because I don't always have time to post up the news as frequently as I'd like to be able to because I have a job and I have a family and I have to manage all of the other stuff having to do with the website. So news writers is a big thing that we really need to focus on. You know, it's as simple as just checking a few things, writing up a couple articles, you know, Generally, in a normal week, you're lucky if you write up two or three articles per week, um, and, and there's hardly anything that ever pops up on the weekend. So if you're interested in that, or if you're interested in reviewing comics, or you have any skills in audio editing, web developing, graphic design, video editing, anything like that, we are extremely interested in you helping us out with a variety of projects that we would like to do in the near future. So you can email me at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net. Outside of that, you can check out the website for all kinds of stuff related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and, of course, the comics. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts just as a heads up. Uh, this coming Tuesday, you can check out uh, Bat Books for Beginners for War Games Act 2 um, as they continue to plow through War Games. And uh, uh, as you're Wait, listening man. to this, uh, War Games Act 1 Outbreak is actually already available as well. So uh, check that out. And then uh, you can also be sure to follow us on Twitter 
Facebook, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman universe. You can leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And as always, leave your comments on the podcast post. That is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Diana. Go see Wonder Woman. Yes, go see Wonder Woman. It's it was good. a great movie. Really good. Yeah. Really, really good. All right. So with that, that is everything for this episode. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Yeah.